I'm doing an episode about uh, the fact that I'm on renewal leave and I knew I was going to go on renewal leave for a while. And I think it's also because I did the, um, it's because I did the podcast, actually. I think I've kind of been uh, checking my life out and decided, yeah, I needed to go on leave. So I was like, who do I know that has taken time off from ministry that I feel like has a really healthy view of it? So I thought of you, my friend. Well, that makes me happy. I'm so honored to be on. I mean, I, I will certainly make the disclaimer with the, you know on the podcast as well that you know, I feel like my time away from ministry was more about like, you know, utterly crashing and burning. <laughs> then, like you're, whereas I feel like you're more like, oh, you know, I, I self care. I feel like mine was a little, born a bit more of necessity, but I still think because of that, you know, that that's something I care a lot about and have a lot of conversations with other pastors and stuff about. So, yeah, certainly glad to talk about it or whatever. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm nearing the end of a 52 week challenge to try to get rid of Sonderless and find happiness in my own life. I'm recording this morning on a Sunday morning. And for most people, that's probably not shocking. But for me, Sundays have always been the busiest day of my week because I'm a pastor and I work at a church and it's go, go, go from the time I wake up. I'm able to do this because I'm in the midst of a renewal leave. Now, most renewal leaves are about three months or a sabbatical. For me, it's only going to be a month, but it's so necessary and so important. I know this because as soon as I started my renewal leave, My body, as you can hear by the stuffiness again, shut down. (laughs) I got sick again. It's as if my body is telling me that I need to rest. Now, most people would think renewal leave would be incredibly relaxing, and it's supposed to be. It's supposed to help you slow down, find a new rhythm, make sure your priorities are in check. But my first day, I fell apart. As I sat down to write all the things I needed or felt like I needed to get done during my break, I realized that I constantly pack my calendar with more and more things, and I always am creating. One of those things is something that we were going to do together. I promised you that I would join a dating group, uh, well, actually a dating coaching group, and that I would be coached by the dating expert that we had on recently. The first day of my renewal leave was supposed to be the first day of my coaching, August 1, but I couldn't. It was too overwhelming. It was too much homework, I thought. It was going to be too much stuff, and I needed to just make sure that I had made space in my renew leave to not have deadlines or stuff that had to be done. Now, there are lots of things that need to be done because of the Kickstarter campaign and wanting to make sure everybody gets their awards and gets their thank yous. So I need to make sure that happens. But as I looked at my to-dos and all the people I wanted to make sure that I saw, because truthfully, I've been neglecting my friendships lately, I was overwhelmed. I actually sent out a bunch of texts saying, I suck at this renewal leave thing. And then as I started to feel sick, I knew that I needed to talk to someone about exactly how to renew and why it seems like work for me is an addiction. And so I called my good friend, Jonathan Martin, and I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation. It was such a great conversation. We're actually going to give it to you in two parts. So whether you're on renewal leave or vacation or in the middle of your work week, I hope that you'll get something out of this. I hope I'll get something out of this. I've listened and re-listened to my conversation with him a couple of times because I need to be reminded how to slow down. I guess I would say you're like my Pentecostal friend. 
Wow. I'm your one Pentecostal friend. I mean, I have a couple, but like. <laughs> do you play that when you need the Pentecostal diversity card? I do. I'm I like, have a, I have I a Pentecostal a, friend. I have one. No, actually, there's actually a couple in my church, believe it or not, that attend my church. Um, I can believe that. You've got the spirit. But I have never spoken in tongues, so I don't know if it even counts. Oh, no. there's still time, Sarah. <laughs> there is still time for you to receive the glory. <laughs> I mean, I have lived in Mississippi, so sometimes I sound like I speak in tongues. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> oh, you've got plenty of Holy Ghost fire. Everybody who knows you knows that. <laughs> so you, uh, you were a pastor at a church for, gosh, how old were you when you started doing ministry? Well, uh-huh. I, I got my first full-time ministry job when I was 22, right out of college. I kind of fumbled into doing youth ministry full-time for like seven years. And then I founded a church that, uh, you know, planted and then pastored for nine years, I guess it was. Okay. And then you and I actually both went to the same school for graduate work. Mm -hmm. You went to Duke. I went to Duke. We weren't there at the same time though, right? No, I don't think so. Um, I was, well, but we seemed like we weren't real far. Like I did, um, I basically went like 2007 to 2009 to do my THM. What was you? What, what, what years were you there? What was, what what was you? you? I was 2005. See, tell I went to Duke. I <laughs> went to Duke and I it. got an education. It's shaking bacon. I helped. Um, I got there in 2002 and I left in 2005. Okay. Yeah. So you went there before me. Yeah. I, I did that about the same time I planted a church, which is really wild. Wow. Yeah. You know what? I planted a church and wrote a book. So like I, yeah, had, there you go. I had a book deadline like three months after my church plant, which is like, if we're going to be honest, I have been running for the last two years on just fumes, <laughs> fumes and charm. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So you did that for nine years. Then you felt like you kind of, you burnt out, right? Yeah. I mean, it was and and, you know, as I said before, it was like, for me, it was really born out of necessity because my marriage was in such a, a bad place and I was in a bad place. So, you know, I, uh, unlike what I feel like you're looking to do, I didn't feel like so much of a, a sense of kind of a healthy, you know, I, I need to, you know, kind of just get myself clear. I mean, you know, nobody else checked me out. It was still my call, but it definitely felt, it, it, it did feel like there was no choice at that point, you know, that because uh, precisely because I hadn't taken that kind of time before and, um, you know, I definitely felt like it, it, it. By the time all that was cropping up, I was at a place where I sort of just felt past saving for that particular role in that context for where I was. Well, one of the things I discovered. So we met a couple years at a conference, and I had heard of you because a lot of my friends are friends with you. And we met a couple years at a conference, and then you wrote a book um, called "How to Survive a Shipwreck," right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it has been not just because you're my friend, but it, I love it. Um, and I think as I was reading it, if, (laughs) if you want to hear it, but as I was reading it, I was thinking, oh yeah, I'm headed in that direction. Like, Mm. and I remember telling you, I texted you and I was like, this book is so good. And I'm like screenshotting and putting it on Instagram because I'm a millennial. (laughs) Um, and I'm like, this is, this is such good, like meat, such goodness to hear, but it's also like, I'm so close. And I don't have – I'm not married, so I can't really have an affair. And that's another thing. Like, nobody's trying to have an affair with a female pastor. Everybody tries to have an affair with a male pastor. Everybody try, you know, there's always this stuff. But I don't have anyone to have, like, a, 
a massive marriage, uh, however it might be. I have friends. It's interesting because I feel like most of my friends who have gone through pastoral crisis, it has uh, like obviously been bubbling for a while, but it surfaces in their marriage. So whether it's they have a fair or they're at, like yours that it just wasn't going well, I feel like we that's kind of, but when you don't have that as a marker, people don't know when you're burning out. <laughs> yeah. You know, that makes a lot of sense because it's almost like, you know, that, that's such, that's so conspicuous. And it's kind of like, I don't know. I just think people's expectations of pastors are such, because, you know, I, I really think Sarah, and first of all, thank you so much for the, uh, the kind words about the book. That means the world coming from you to be sure that's, that really means a lot. Um, ben, you know, and just to be clear, like even on that front, I mean, I did, I'd gotten, very over the line emotionally with somebody. I mean, there was, there was just a lot that was kind of going on, but, but we had been kind of unwell and marriage for a long time. You know, it's always um, where I tried, of course, just to be cautious about all that. My whole thing with shipwreck was that, you know, I didn't want any blood on the pages except my own. So always just trying to be very cautious about, you know, wherever the people are and how they, but are, they are, but yeah, there was a lot happening in all that for me, but I do, you know, my sense, Sarah, for whatever it's worth, like of you, because I feel like I have been around you enough in different contexts. And I just, you know, I I resonate with so much about just kind of who you are. I, I think I have so much of that to energy. And I can tell you um, both in my experience from being a person that was married, but that never had kids. And then now on the other side, being divorced. Uh, so just kind of being single. I actually think people in ministry who are single, like it's like, Look, I'm not the person who romanticizing romanticizes like having kids. I understand it's very hard and yeah. complicated and all those kind of things. But it is sort of a built-in boundary in your life. Mm-hmm. You're able to say, "No, we've got, you know, dodgeball Tuesday night at 7. We've got this, like we've got that." I think having kids often kind of forces people to kind of build up a little bit of a uh, you know, kind of like some necessary walls. And I you know, my experience even now is that not having a fa- a traditional family in that way, uh, the way that so many ministers, of course, are, it feels like this profession maybe more than any other, is the quintessential 2.5 kids and the fence kind of existence, is that I kind of feel like I don't have a good reason to say no. Like, am I going to say like, well, actually, I'm just really tired and I really need to go to the movies Tuesday night alone. Like, I, <laughs> like I'm not good at saying that. So I just think for somebody like in, in your place, and I think again, I can still drift there as well. It's almost like it feels uh, it would feel selfish or something to claim time for yourself because it's not about this other broader entity or something. I had, I mean, I remember, <laughs> I know exactly when I knew it was time for me to take time off. It was in February, no March. A bunch of stuff had gone in, on in my personal life. A bunch of stuff had gone on in my uh, ministry, and I was walking down the street and. I was like, I'm done. And I remember I called my dad and I was like, dad, like who does this? And my, my father is still a doctor. He's a working doctor. So I called him in the middle of his office and was like, dad, I need to know, like if I had to leave ministry really quickly, like <laughs> would you um, support me financially? And this is what <laughs> my dad is so practical. He was like, I would not support. No, you would have to have a, something you were stepping into, Sarah. You can't just like leave and like goes into this. And I go, Dad, I just needed you to say yes. I'm not going to do it. I just need <laughs> you to say yes. I think because I needed to feel like I could step outside and I could, because at the time I was in such a place of like 
Ugh. And actually, that was when my district superintendent started talking to me about, Sarah, you need to take a significant amount of time off. And I hadn't thought about it, but I've been in full-time ministry for 13 years. And the longest yeah, I've ever long taken time. off was like 14 days. And wow. And as you know, we don't have the same rhythm as other people because we don't have weekends. I right. mean, we kind of do sometimes, but there's this expectation that you'll just kind of show up to anything. That's right. And what I discovered as I started to actually – I don't know if you've had this, but when I started to actually – talk about my renewal leave, I acted like an addict. But like, you can call me. Like, I can't be doing church stuff, but like, you can call me. Things like that. And, right. and sure, sure. I had an assistant. I have an amazing administrative assistant, uh, personal assistant who's amazing. She's like, give me your phone. You need to delete right now Gmail off your phone. The church email. Delete it. She's like, also, I'm changing the password. So there you go. Um, wow. And she, you know, she's been great in just fighting for me. But I... I also justify it. I like have to explain it to people because I'm so afraid people will be like, Sarah, how could you? Um, and that's weird, right? Like, and the response has been the opposite. So I don't know if when you first, because yesterday was one of the hardest days of my life, if I'm honest, because I kept thinking, I've got so much to do. I'm supposed to be taking a month off, but I'm moving and I'm supposed to, I've got all the stuff for Kickstarter to say thank you to all my folks who helped out. And I've got people who could do that, but instead I was like writing a list of all that I needed to do. I couldn't, like my first half of the day was like quiet. Okay, I can do this. I worked out on the beach with one of my friends. We did yoga at the end. Like it was, it was, I did some meditation. I mean, it was exactly what I need to do. But what happened in the afternoon is as soon as it got quiet, I started writing lists. Okay, I need to do this. I don't know if you – when you first left, did it feel like leaving an addiction? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, it was, you know, my story was kind of unique in that regard because it kind of happened in phases because I did take a sabbatical, but it was just too little too late. I mean, like, I, it was like four months, and that was kind of, you know, especially as unwell as we were, it kind of felt like things got worse instead of better. So then I came back for like three or four months, and then I really left, <laughs> which – uh so that was kind of in phases. But yeah, I mean, like, I just didn't know how to be uh, without ministry and what you're describing. It's, it, it's, it's, that's always so funny with you, Sarah. I kind of feel like you're such a mirror of, of so many of my tendencies in that way. I mean, the way I handle everything with nearly every person is if there's kind of a procedure set in place. I mean, I, you know, I have somebody, for example, who does like booking for me. I promise you, if someone asks me, can you speak at this and that, the other, I cannot hardly bring myself to say anything other than, you know, well, yeah, technically I have a guy, but let, let, let's, go, let's go ahead and set, let's go ahead and set oh this up. Oh my gosh. This is so like <laughs> everybody's my friend and they all relate to me as my friend, you know, and I feel like they, because I'm a fairly open, fairly vulnerable person, I think people relate to me with that kind of energy and I feel like I need to respond in kind. So then I just, you know, I mean, I, I so everybody's an exception to every conceivable yep. rule that might actually bring me a little bit of sanity. And I think it's this like, like, who am I if I'm not... Like my biggest thing this year as I've been doing this podcast is finding out who Sarah is, not Pastor Sarah. And I'm actually going to Canada next week. And part of why I'm going to Canada during my renewal leave is that for me, Canada is a place where I am, I've never been Pastor Sarah. Mm, right. um, yeah, that's There good. are a couple people who know me or know I do ministry, but like because the culture is so different and it is post-Christian, people don't even know what to expect of pastors. Like I show up, they're like, so what do you do? And I explain it and they're like, oh, it's like, what? okay, so you're like a speaker. Yeah. And then like, sweet. So tell me about you. And I almost don't know what to do about it because they don't have any baggage around church. They don't have any 
you know, I remember I was last year sitting on a boat with one of my like dearest friends. I have known him since I was 16. Like, um, he is just an amazing part of my life. And I said to him something about blah, blah, blah. And Pastor Sarah, he goes, I've got to tell you, I have no idea who that is. He's like, I've never met her. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like, I'm wondering if there's this fear that Sarah, Sarah isn't enough or like, where is it coming from? Well, and you know, and, and sometimes I feel like some of those fears might not even be all that conscious or particular. It's like you kind of, you just, over time, I think identity can become so enmeshed with ministry. You simply just don't know what you have without it. You know, it's like if I remove this kind of duct tape, because for all the ways that it makes you crazy, it kind of holds your life together too. It, even if you're fractured, it still, there's a lot of things that it binds together. So I think, I think the really scary thing can just be like, once you've been that dependent on those things for so long, who am I? How would I know? Well, to hit, to go straight to the kind of finish line of for me in that particular category, one of the biggest discoveries I had was that I think I really wondered, you know, on some level, I've been a professional Christian for so long, all of my adult life. I mean, it's like I worked at the church part-time when I was still in college and went straight to full-time like the day after I graduated. I really wondered you know, would I still even follow Jesus? Like, would I be a Christian if there was no paycheck engaged? Now, almost to my surprise, I kind of, I kind of like clung to Jesus very, fairly voraciously. And I found myself in the Episcopal Church the very next Sunday, weeping and receiving communion. Like that turned out to be wonderful, but I didn't know. And I think, you know, you, even to collect the question you asked your dad, I think part of what's so interesting about the crossroads, the crossroads that you're at right now is that, you know, if you don't really feel like you have a choice, um, then, you know, it's like you never get to a place to where I just think everybody needs to be able to feel like that they're choosing their own life. And, you know, if, if you don't feel like that, then even if you're doing something you're, quote, supposed to be doing or feel called to do or would want to do, like, how do you know that if you don't really feel like you've got a choice, which does mean I think you've got to be able to explore some of that in a fairly open ended way. Yeah, I think. Uh, <laughs> everyone does have to make a choice of like, is this me? Is this what I'm about? And do I still, you know, am I a Christian if I'm not like what I choose to go to church, what I choose this life? And I think people can relate, even if they're not pastors, I think there's so many people who are in their lifestyle, whether it's like teacher, all this sort of stuff, like, what am I without that? But I also have friends who are like, I am petrified of when my kids go to college. Most of my friends have kids that are around. At this point, they're all like about 10. Um, and so they're like, you know, I'm all of a sudden realizing how quick 10 years went. And like another 10 years from now, they're like more than adult. They're 20. And now who am I and how can the world see me without these kids that I kind of use as like, not like um, props, but as like, hey, these are my humans. Um, I have validation. How do we figure out like whether we chose our life or whether, you know, I think that's the thing that everybody at a deep sense is trying to figure out, like, what does it look like to really be okay with exactly where you are and what you're doing? Yes. Yes. That's so true. I do think that people can relate to that no matter where they are. Everybody kind of hits that place. And especially if you do get on a certain path when you're fairly young and then kind of throw yourself into it. It's like, oh, I went straight from this. That's the thing that people don't realize. I was the youngest person in grad school. Wow. No way. Because I started college at 17. Um, and so I started seminary. I think I was 21. 
Well, I forget you're like Doogie Howser. <laughs> I'm not Doogie Howser. I just was part of a school system that starts earlier. Canada starts earlier. But you can tell people it was. And my birthday's in September. So I had like, yeah, I had a little bit of that. But I think what was really helpful for me, even in your book and why I've recommended it to so many of my friends, is you ask the question, am I still a Christian? You like, I got to see you wrestle it out because I got to think, okay, he stayed. Can I stay? Because it's almost like I don't know if there's a place at the table for just regular Sarah. You know, I remember, you know, I was uh, dating this guy who was also a pastor. And I went down to see he, – he was living in uh, San Diego at the time. And uh, I went down to see him. Like, <laughs> he's at a huge mega church, And um, now he's at a, another church up here that's smaller. But he was at this huge church. And so – um, I went to go visit him and they start Christmas Eve, like December 23rd. So it worked out for me. Um, so I went with him Christmas Eve service at his church and we were just walking around, you know, being a normal couple, hand holding, walking into the sanctuary. And there was this moment where as we went to grab the door, this, you know, one of the greeters said, oh, hello, pastor. And I said, huh. And then I realized, oh, I'm not who she's talking to. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey there. And we went and we sat down because, um, that church has multiple pastors, and he was like an executive children's pastor, so wow. he like oversaw the whole children's program, but and was like in a team and learning that kind of stuff there. But he, it was so crazy, and I never knew how to express it to what it what it was like to just sit in a church service and actually no one in the room to know that I was a pastor, no one in the room to know my education or or know who I was, or but. I think I could only stay there so long because I think the spirit is in me and in some way it would come out. Like I, I loved it and I think it was such a blessing and I would like to do it more, but I think there was just this sense of like, huh, what does it look like to just be a parishioner and not the pastor? And I kind of loved it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. Like I felt like a normal girl. I mean, other... Other than the fact that, like, you know, this is the first time I went to a church, his church, and, like, I, I forgot, like, the pastor's significant other. That's, like, a that's a serious magnifying glass. Oh, I get why people struggle with dating me because seeing it from the other side, wow, where there are a lot of looks. Right. Yeah, it is the whole thing, to be sure, in the context of ministry, as I'm, as I'm learning. Uh-huh, uh, yeah, you are. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, yep, that's a whole different set of expectations and pressure. But, you know, Sarah, I just, everything you're saying, I mean, I feel like you're, well, for one, it should be said, I mean, you're, you're terribly competent. So <laughs> I do think that's the thing, the fact that you do things so well and, and so naturally and that you thrive in all these environments. So, like, people are going to come to depend on you in all kinds of ways. But man, I do think that having that experience for a little bit of time or a long amount of time, whatever you kind of, you need. I mean, sometimes I think it's like, you got to have the space to even be able to tell the difference between what is the spirit in me versus what is compulsion of some sort. Mm-hmm, performing. And, um, but I love that like you, that you had that experience even for a minute. I, I'll tell you this. I had about, after I left for Novatis, I had a year, year and a half, I don't know, in Charlotte where I was going to the Episcopal Church. And and I cobbled together stuff to do. I mean, I was doing like, you know, ghost writing and stuff, some things I don't really love doing, but just kind of whatever I do, you know, to kind of pay the bills. But I will tell you that part I came to just like dearly, dearly love was just to go to church. And to my surprise, I think like, because I think I thought 
that I would feel a little bit more um, restless or like jumping back in. And, and, you know, clearly over time, I did feel like that sense of calling was still there. But I will say at least like during that season, I didn't even experience the withdrawal that much because I think just think at that point, precisely because I had gotten so low, it it just felt good to just come and receive ministry. And it was funny, too, because the church I was at, like, it's a great church, but nothing was like, I don't know that anything was particularly dynamic, but man, I would like, I would cry so often just during like the scripture readings. I always cried during communion to come and kneel and receive communion. I cried every time. It just, it was overwhelming to just kind of be in a space where, you know, where I'm coming to the table instead of presiding over it, you know? So sometimes I think it's like you kind of have to, and, but, but what is scary, I think, about entering a time like you are now is that some of these things, you know, you just don't know until you get further into them. So it's like, you know, the suspense is real. You don't know exactly what you'll discover about yourself when you step away from the controls. Well, and that's the yesterday, all of a sudden, I I was just lining up my social calendar. Like my very good friends live in LA and I haven't seen them in so long because he's been touring, I've been touring. Um, And so I planned this day to hang out with them. And then I realized I had already planned like a spa day with another friend and this and that and that and this and this. And I realized what I was doing was filling my time because the person I don't want to sit with the most is me. Yes. Oh, oh, oh. yeah, that is so, you are so, that is my story and my song right there. Cause that's the other side of the discovery is that I kind of realized that even if I remove myself from ministry proper, that doesn't necessarily remove that impulse. Like I am, I'm still prone to, clutter things in such a way to where I don't just have to sit with myself. That that can, I think that might go deeper than ministry for me. Yeah, for me too. And I think it's, I don't know, It's it's been such an interesting process because I feel like God brought me to this place where, and it's so funny because previous Sarah would never have like told all this stuff. I'm Canadian. We don't tell our, we don't show our ugly as they say in the South. Sure. Um, but like, discovering that I had ADHD. And so getting on medication, which means like now my brain is slow. Not slow, but it's like normal for normal people. Uh, and I don't mean, we're just, we're still trying to figure out like what my dosage is, whatever. But I am starting to like, maybe I could do contemplative prayer. I never could do it before because my brain was always going and I almost felt like that was a sin. Like, how can you not slow down and just be in the presence of God? Like, what is wrong with you? Um, but I think for me, the slowing down was always fearful because I was afraid and am afraid and continue to be afraid of being alone with myself. I'm afraid of looking myself in the mirror. And I think this, like, beautiful shattering of the last couple of months where, like, all the things I was proud of, like, oh, I can do a million things at once. Yeah, no, I can't. My brain is racing. And the reason I fail at some things is because I cannot actually maintain the pace that I'm acting like I can maintain. So I feel like there's this like invitation. I'm just really afraid to take it, you know? Yeah. Well, again, when you don't know exactly what you'll find, I mean, I think that's scary. And I'm just, no, I'm not, I'm not good at any of that stuff either. I mean, I feel like there's always some kind of ebb and flow of trying to, I know like more recently, and I hate to even say this out loud because I don't think I've really talked about this anywhere publicly because just new enough. Maybe I also just don't want to jinx it. But um, when I went back in January, me and my friend Jared McKenna from Australia spent a few days with. I adore that man. Oh, he's great. Love Jared. Um, he was just here, which is awesome. But we were uh, we spent 
the better part of a week down in New Mexico with Father John Deere, who's this, you know, really amazing uh, Catholic priest who's, um, you know, he's a peace activist. He's been arrested like 85 times and, and really interesting guy. Like, uh, he kind of, he was, um, he was part of the reason that, you know, like Martin Sheen came back to faith and stuff. I mean, he has all kinds of crazy stories, but it's like, he, he talks so beautifully about his own prayer practice of just sitting with Jesus. This is just sitting with Jesus. And like, he literally every morning takes like 20 minutes and sits a chair across from him, imagines Jesus physically sitting there and just talks to him. And like that, that I did kind of set with me, but I hadn't done a lot with it. And so I've kind of been doing this thing lately of like, all my life, I feel like I've never had uh, a great rhythm in terms of my own spiritual practice. And that way, I'm way too scattered and manic. But I really, really love breakfast. And in my new place in Nashville, I'm like 30 seconds away from this one of the great breakfast spots in town. So I've kind of like in my head, I really think of it this way. I've started having like my kind of breakfast with Jesus because like, well, I can't get myself out of bed. <laughs> Knowing that's the store. And it's been crazy how much I feel like, you know, even though that's a fairly new practice, I mean, I'll just do like fairly silently, you know, at the table, I'll kind of go through the morning uh, portion of the Book of Common Prayer and then usually take something else a little bit to read and take a few notes. And I'm just forcing myself to do it before I do anything else, before like any of their commitments and obligations. And man, like, I just can't believe how quickly. For as much as I've kind of bemoaned, because I think I, I've been the other way for so long, it's it's actually really impacting me, like how quickly those habits can be changed. You know, because I feel like I'm already rewiring, like I'm doing it just consistently enough to where now if I don't have that kind of space, like I feel like I really miss it. And, you know, I'm just slowly getting that thing of like uh, where it's starting to become a little bit more natural to say, hey, you know what, there are all the other things that need to happen today it can wait until I have this time. Like I need this space. I need this time, you know? So I don't know. I think that all to say, I think there'll be those kind of discoveries too, that as you take that kind of quiet, that there's also going to be these moments and things like, Oh, I really like feeling this way. Oh, I do feel much more connected to myself or to God or to nature or whatever. And they're happy surprises too. Oh man, it's so good to talk to Jonathan and realize that I am not alone in being bad at setting boundaries or even learning how to rest, but hopeful that I'll learn. You know, doing this podcast has taught me a lot. Talking to all these experts has taught me a lot and I can feel my life changing. Maybe not in the ways I thought it would, but changing. Part of that is learning how to stop, learning how to reset. I'm grateful for this chance and I have no idea what I'm going to learn over the next couple of weeks, but... Part of it is moving towards getting rid of Sonderless. I'm moving to the town that I work in, which is incredible. Um, Even though it's going to be a smaller place, I think being in uh, that community will be better for me and for my heart. I'm making small movements towards the life that I want, creating space and learning how to create space. So friends, thanks for joining me on this journey. I look forward to you hearing the rest of the conversation because Jonathan gave me some pretty practical ways that I can create boundaries and space and time and renewal. I hope you'll join us next time. This episode was brought to you by Michelle and Damien Bussing. We are so grateful for all of you who gave so much when we were working on our Kickstarter. And as part of that, Michelle and Damien stepped up to sponsor an entire show. Thank you so much. 
not just for supporting the show, but for always supporting me. I also want to give you a bit of a Kickstarter update. Rewards are almost done being created and are on their way by the end of August. Thank you so much for your kindness, your generosity, and the way you've supported the show. I really appreciate it. Sandra List, the podcast is hosted by me, Sarah Heath. This episode was edited and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio. To find out more about them, visit cmstudio.co. Sonderless website was created by Alex Maldonado. The theme song was written and performed by Daniel Roberts. You can visit us anytime at sonderlessthepodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and exclusive content. If you like the show, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Most importantly, leave a review. It's a great way to spread the word and help people find the show. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and keep looking for your bliss.